0: You guys ready for the Word of God today? Are you guys ready to get a message? You're going to get your socks knocked off. We have been preparing you all summer to hear Joel Parker speak, all right? So every one of us who came before him was getting you ready for him to preach this Word to you. So stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read to us Psalm 51, one of the most powerful, notable psalms in David's Library. Here we go. Verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithfulness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my wrongdoings. Wash me thoroughly from my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my wrongdoings and my sin is constantly before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in secret you will will make wisdom known to me. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and wipe out all my guilty deeds, and create in me a clean heart, God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips So that my mouth may declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. And by your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and take a seat. I want to invite Joel Parker. Come on, give him a round of applause. Oh, yeah. man. Ryan.
1: What, what are we, two weeks out till you are, are the, <laughs> our new lead pastor? Yeah, yeah, Are we sure we want to do that? <laughs> are we sure? Oh, man. Ryan, we love you so much. And uh, I just, I just, I cannot wait for this new season of our church. And uh, I just, Man, we, lo- we love this guy so much. Thanks. What up, Hi, guys. My name's Joel Parker, and some of you may be like, who's this guy? Well, uh, some of you are like, where have you been? Um, I was once the college pastor here at church. Some of you are like, did you quit? Did you get fired? Did Nick Gilmore offend you? <laughs> Um, Actually, we uh, started sensing a few years ago that the Lord was doing something new in our lives. And so my, my role in ministry has always been Multifaceted. I, I work for a media company called Nations Media. We're the ones, I'm the one who took Mark Foreman to Iraq, if you remember that. Uh, so we do documentary films. We have a journal magazine. We're aspiring to be like the National Geographic of the faith-based world. So that occupies about half my time. And then the other half has always been pastoral. Um, but starting a couple years ago, I, I, I became good friends with, with this guy, Craig, uh, here in Carlsbad. Craig was once the, uh, the director of the Betty Ford Center, and uh, we just became fast friends, and we started dreaming about opening up a clinic here in Carlsbad, so we did that. We opened the doors about eight uh, months ago. It's an intensive outpatient program, meaning this, when, when someone's trying to get off of alcohol or drugs, the first step is to go to a detox, and you usually do that for a couple of weeks, And then the second step is you go to an intensive outpatient program, which is what we provide. And, uh, yeah, it's a faith-based program. It's also accredited. So we take insurance, do all that stuff. I'm still learning the ropes, but basically my role there is pastor and uh, I get to, um, walk with people through, uh, um, the addiction process. So anyhow, that's what I've been up to. And, uh, but today I get to put my preacher hat on and, uh, Guide us through Psalm 51. This is a psalm that is, uh, it's really an interesting moment in scripture. It evokes a lot of things. So the first thing I do when I come to Psalm 51 is I think of, man, how could we have ever made David out to be a superhero? This guy is an atrocious sinner. And now we're dealing with his road. To repentance in Psalm 51. Another thing it does is it it evokes just a a beauty, um, a simple invitation to me to allow my sin to be transparent, to allow uh, my journey to um, being more and more like Jesus to expedite a little bit quicker as I free myself from the sin that so easily entangles us by taking it to the Lord. Anyways, so that's the journey we are on. So I know when we're going through a series in Psalms, it's like every week we get the backstory, but let's be reminded that um, at this moment in history, David is at the top. He's the guy, Israel is experiencing incredible success. They're enjoying unprecedented moments in their nation's history. Their territory has never been bigger. This is about 3000 BC. David's men are waging war against the Ammonites. This is modern day Ammon, Jordan. Scripture tells us it's the time of year when kings would typically be with their troops, with their soldiers. But we find David staying back, relaxing, enjoying the spoils, and not where he should be. That's the first thing I think we need to pay attention to in this story. His palace sits up high. And what does he see as he goes out to enjoy the view one morning? A beautiful human being. Have you ever seen a beautiful human being? Like Ryan Pfeiffer is a beautiful human being. Would you agree? (laughs) Some people are just beautiful. Well, David sees a beautiful human being, Bathsheba. Bathing on the roof. A lot of questions arise in this moment. Why was she bathing on the roof? Was this a cultural thing? Was this to seduce? I don't know. There's a lot to be up for our interpretation. But nonetheless, David asked his people to go find out about this chick. (laughs) The servants come back and they say, yeah, this beautiful human being is Uriah's wife. Oh, Uriah. You see, David knows Uriah. He knows him well. They're friends. In fact, it's noted that Uriah is one of 37 men who are responsible for saving David's life. David owes Uriah his life. Nonetheless, David makes a decision. He makes a decision, he abuses his power, and he uses it to sleep with Bathsheba. Tragic, tragic moment in David's story. Now, David here is probably thinking, he's like, man, it's, it's all under control. Everything is fine until the knock at the door. I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh boy. Now what do you do? What do you do if you're David? Well, let's take a time out for just a second. And remember that sin is never static. It's dynamic. Meaning this, that In our journey, we're either taking steps towards sin and away from God, or we're taking steps towards God and away from sin. In the Old Testament, they call it this word consecration. We'll see that when Israel was consecrated to Yahweh, they were consecrating themselves from the alien practices of Canaan. It's one or the other. We can't just kind of sit and exist As people, we are making steps towards one of the two things. And here it's important to understand that David is moving towards sin. Now listen, it's easy to be judgmental and look back and go, yeah, this guy, man, can you believe it? But what the Old Testament reveals is the heart of Joel Parker. Every time I read it, I remember going like, really? Really? Really, Israel, you're gonna have this monumental moment where everything's going great and then you go and build a golden calf? Really? And then I think back to all the idols that I've created. Dude, I have made idols out of snowboards. I'm like, this is my life, I worship you. Surfing, whatever it may be, we're quick to do it. It reveals who we are. We're no different, we're no different. Sin is damaging, it's harmful. And we, apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, are right in the throes of it. I love in Ephesians chapter 2, when Paul is talking to the church, and he starts, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins without Christ, in which you formerly lived according to the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, by children of wrath, even as the rest. Meaning this, that, that we, the church, apart from Christ, are a pretty grisly bunch. And David's right there with us, right? So we can take our judgmental hats off and just read the story and pay attention to what God is inviting us to this morning. So long story short, he has Uriah killed through a set of circumstances. That's his solution. He goes towards sin even deeper and it's getting messy really quick. Then there's a knock at the door. In 2 Samuel 12, Nathan, his buddy, shows up, and he comes to him and says, there were two men, he, saw, he tells this story, ready? He says, there were two men in the city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. Aw. Kind of like, isn't there, yeah, see that? Can you smell that photo, anybody? <laughs> Anybody raised on a farm? <laughs> Not a lot of farms in Carlsbad. Dude, I can, I can, I re, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I was, uh, I, I used to teach at this Bible college down in New Zealand, and, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, sheep, they're so cute and so amazing. And then you get close, they're like, oh my gosh, they're just little, they're little cows with fur. That's all they are, they, <laughs> they smell terrible. Anyways the poor the rich guy has a lot of them the poor guy has one okay one little ewe lamb which he bought and he nourished and listen to this and it grew up together with him and his children it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom it was like a daughter to him now we we just got a little puppy for our clinic a little therapy dog it's a double doodle we're brand new to the dog world any dog people here it's, it's like a thing. Like, peop, like people treat pets like children. Like it's amazing. Anyway, so that's what's happening here. The poor guy is like is treating this one beautiful little ewe lamb like his daughter. Now, verse four, it says, Now a traveler came to him, uh, to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, listen, the rich man takes the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Crazy. David's anger after hearing this burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely a man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan, like a good friend, said, David, you idiot. You man after God's own heart you're that man. And he calls him out. Then he says this, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You You have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. David then sees his wrong and he says, I have sinned against the Lord in verse 13. He comes to his senses, a journey most all of us have been on. We've set out, we've made a decision, we've entered into sin, and now we're on a journey of repentance. How do we find ourselves in that process of being tied down and choked out by sin? How do we hear God's voice and his invitation? back to intimacy and relationship with Him. Psalm 51 demonstrates that. In Psalm 51, uh, again, David gives us a song about his journey back to repentance. And today, Psalm 51 serves as a roadmap to repentance for you and I, the church. So here we go. David's roadmap to repentance is this. Number one, the first thing he does He says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, he asked to blot out my transgressions. Remember, sin is never static, it's always dynamic. And this is David facing God. It's just the mere reality of turning towards the Lord. That's it. That's the first step. God, where are you? I need you. I've made a mess of things. And my posture now is facing God. That's step number one. Number two, David asked God to cleanse him of his sin. Verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse seven, it says, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Hyssop in the Old Testament was a branch that they would dip in blood. I know it gets weird, hold on. And they would sprinkle it, whether over people or a house, to cleanse it. We're reminded in the Old Testament that atonement or forgiveness of sin was a messy ordeal. And unfortunately, I forget this so much in my journey in spirituality. I forget what sin costs. I'm reminded once a year, maybe on Good Friday, but it's rare that I think back to my sin actually being the cause of Jesus shedding blood on the cross. I forget that. Even after all the Bible studies and Bible school and seminary classes, I forget the gravity of my own sin. And here here he's saying that, listen, I am being reminded of that, And I'm asking God that that blood would purify me and cleanse me of my sin. Number three, David confesses and acknowledges that his sin is serious. We from afar can go, yeah, no, duh. Murder? Sleeping with someone's wife? Like, no, duh. But he says this, my sin is ever before me meaning this, I can't get it out of my mind. Have you ever been in sin and it's just right there in front of you, you can't escape it? It's, it's the Holy Spirit convicting you. Every conversation you have is reminding you of it. I remember when I brand new came to know the Lord, I was uh, 19, 20 years old. I didn't know how to be a Christian, so I, I enrolled in Bible college. <laughs> And so I'm going to Bible college and I'm doing my thing. And, um, this little lady right there sitting in the second row catches my eye and I'm like, wow, that is a godly woman. She's amazing. I love her. She's beautiful. And I'm like, there's no way she would ever date me though. So anyway, so where I'm like, my eye is, is fixated on this Rachel Melhoff right here. And, uh, but, but the problem was, is I'm still a total idiot. Sanctification process had just begun, okay? Please understand that. And one day, uh, a few of my buddies, we were, my kids are in this service? Can, can I, plug your ears, kids. Um, they already know, they already know, but I made, my buddies and I were like, hey, let's, uh, let's go out, let's, let's get some beers, and let's, it's Saturday, let's, let's get some beers and, and watch a movie or something. So we go out, and we can't decide on what beer to get, so everybody just gets their own, which inevitably leads to us making some really poor decisions. Us leading to us having to talk to the police. Us having to uh, take some time out, Behind bars and think about our actions. <laughs> Bible college student, okay? <laughs> see, see, God always wins. Now I have to work in in addiction and recovery world. See, see, <laughs> He always wins. And, and and here's here's the funny part. And I, now I'm a professor of the Old Testament at that Bible college. So, um, God always wins <laughs> in the end. So. But I'll never forget the first time I was just toiled by my sin, the decisions I had made. I was like, oh my gosh, this is jeopardizing everything. God has a future and a plan for my life, but I have like in one stupid move, I have thrown it all away. I'm going to get kicked out of school and Rachel Melhoff will never date me. That's for sure. And I remember I had this moment, I was like, what am I gonna do with my sin? What's, What's the game plan here? And I just felt the Holy Spirit inviting me to be transparent for the first time in my life. You see, my whole life, if I had done something wrong or sinful, bury it, hide it, lie about it. Whatever it takes, don't let others see what really is going on inside of here. And it was in complete contradiction to what I was learning and discovering in God's word. God's going, hey, give me your junk. Give me your sin. I want to free you. First time I was ever honest in my life was in that moment before God saying this. God, whatever the outcome is, if I'm kicked out of school, so be it. I'm fine. As long as you're with me and guide me out of this, I trust you. And then it was being honest and transparent with others. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with Rachel, saying, listen, I have to tell you something. This is what happened a couple weekends ago. I know you're probably never gonna wanna be my friend, we'll never date, but I had to just air it out and confess this sin, and I had never been lighter in my shoes than after that moment. It was freedom, it was total freedom. I think the, beauty, the beautiful thing about this is that when we acknowledge the seriousness of our sin, God matches it with his grace. He always does. Have, have you ever come clean about something really heavy or gnarly, whatever scale gnarly is for you? Have you ever just done it? Has God ever abandoned you in it? No, but sometimes there's always, always this hesitancy. And see, David here, he's, he's haunted with his sin but he's making the right move in this journey to repentance. Secondly, in verse four, he says, against you and only you have I sinned. Uh, question, question here for just a quick moment here uh, in verse four. What about Uriah? What about Bathsheba? Could possibly be heavier sin being against them? Well, listen, this is a little bit theological, but it's important to understand God is the one who determines right and wrong, not culture, not opinion, not uh, convenience. God's law is holy because he is holy. David did what was wrong in God's sight. This is key. His sin was against God. The hurt and the pain was against Bathsheba and Uriah. Does that make sense? I think oftentimes in my journey, I'm so fixated on how my sin impacts others that really at the core of that is manipulation and pride. If you really break it down, you see, I have to understand that every single person I encounter, whether it be my family or my friends or the people I work with or God's creation, they're God's people. They're the ones that Jesus went to the cross for. And my hurtful actions is against his creation. Does that make sense? So here we go. Number three in uh, verse four, the second part, uh, David vindicates God, not himself. He declares that God is justified and blameless in whatever he chooses to do with David. He says it would be fair and just for David to suffer at the hand of God, from his sin, which is correct. Next thing we see is David's plea for renewal. This is where it gets good. Way deeper than asking for forgiveness, David here has a passion and a desire to be changed from within. Verse 10, he prays for a spirit that is new, right, and firm. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Such a beautiful line. Verse 8, in 12, he asked for a renewal of the joy of his salvation. Let me ask you this. Have you ever lost the joy of your salvation? I have. I have. Whenever that happens, again, it goes back to sin being dynamic. It's either I'm taking steps towards sin and making decisions towards that, or I'm making decisions towards God. Steps towards God. I think at the it's pretty obvious to know that when we lose that joy of our salvation, where typically we're at. Number three in verse 15, he asks for God to free him to worship. There have been many moments in this sanctuary where, man, just my mouth just seems tight. It doesn't matter who's leading worship. It's just not coming out. Anybody relate to that? Again, that's that vine of sin that starts by wrapping itself around our leg and coming up and eventually choking us out. And David's going, I want to be free to worship once again. I love that. What a beautiful invitation. This uh, last season of my life has just been busy. And so my sin has just been not finding adequate time of intimacy with my heavenly father who loves me. I'm finding time for everything else in my life except for him. And wouldn't you know it, you find yourself having to preach Sunday morning. So I'm driving into work, not work, well, I'm driving in this morning, and I was, I, uh, that song, um, um, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me It just popped into my head. And I haven't had that moment in a long time. Normally, I'm like a stress case. Ask anybody before I preach. I don't like preaching. It's scary. It's intimidating. I'm dyslexic. I don't, I've like got anybody but me, and I'm just going through all my insecurities as I'm driving here. And that song just like flooded me, and I just started crying. And I was just in this amazing moment of worship, and it hadn't happened in so long, and I just said, thank you, Jesus. It's so good to just be able... to. It's funny when you're preaching a sermon on repentance, (laughs) you got to be quick to repent, right? And then the tears and the song came right back. And I just said, thank you, Jesus. It's so, it's just, man, that freedom is like, it's worth a million dollars. I tell you what. Number four in verse 13, he asks, David asks that the outcome of all of this would be evangelism. You see, David is not content to just be forgiven. David is not content to just be clean. David is not content to just have a right spirit. And he's not just content to be joyful by himself. Listen to this. His contentment comes from his brokenness, healing others. Love that. This is why we, this is why, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll say this that what I'm learning about the recovery world and, and people who are desiring with their utmost being to be free from addiction, which is so, so heavy and so nasty. And it's easy if you're not in addiction to judge addiction. It's easy to just go, how could anyone ever get addicted to heroin or meth? Or how could anyone become an alcoholic? Let me tell you this, no one wakes up and just goes, I think I'm gonna become an alcoholic today. I've always wanted to know what that feels like. No, 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 it's, it's a frustrating process of trauma that leads to hurt and pain, that leads to a series of decisions that puts you in the clasp of the enemy like nothing else. And when people find themselves there and they start to get free and healthy, it's an amazing thing to witness. Has anybody seen somebody walk through addiction? I mean, it's heroic. It's heroic. And nearly every single person that I work with as I start to say, hey, my job pastorally is to to help you identify the things that you were numbing with your substance, and that's where our therapeutic team comes in, dealing with all the trauma and the triggers and all that good stuff. But as you become unnumbed to those pains, we start to become unnumbed to a future that is hopeful, that there's reconciliation with family, there's restoration, there's purpose restored. Every single time, as I counsel people go, you know, I really see myself pouring back into people who are struggling with addiction every single time, every single time. It's amazing. And so David here, he's saying the same thing. He's asking that his pain and journey would not be a waste, that he would be able to, this story would be able to be used to invite others into the redemption process. So here we are thousands of years later, using David's pain of sin to invite us into something much, much bigger. Intimacy with God, wholeness, healing, all that good stuff. What a beautiful ask David has. So in David's repentance lessons, um, this is how he goes about. He turns to God and he asks God to be gracious, loving, loving, compassionate and kind. And we in the present tense uh, can do the same thing and understand that God has been gracious to us, right? Because we're on the other side of the cross. He has been loving, he has been compassionate, and he has been kind. Secondly, David asks for forgiveness. Forgive me, wash me, blot out my transgressions. We know that we in the present tense can do the same exact thing. God has forgiven us, right? He has washed us clean. I love that interaction in Isaiah chapter one, when God says, come now, let us be reasonable. Those of your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. They're red like crimson, they should be white like wool. But he says this, if you're willing and obedient, you'll inherit the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. I just, I love the simplicity of what that is saying. Saying God is willing to wash you clean right now. That's his end of the deal. He's the one who's going to do that. Are you willing and obedient to take steps towards that? To ask for that? To plead with God for that? Third thing he does is confess, uh, he confesses his awareness of his sin He confesses his sin against God and God alone, not man. He asks to purify him again. Wash me and forgive me again. He says, cause uh, me to come alive again with joy and worship. He says, don't let me waste this pain, this hurt and the suffering and bless me with a broken spirit that I might remain humble. Again, avoiding pride is the only thing that is going to keep us from the sin that, God, that gets us in those places in the first place. And also, listen, the goal of confession or repentance is not perfection, it's intimacy with God. That's it. God's not asking us to be perfect. Jesus was the one who was perfect. He's asking us to have intimacy with him. That is, he guides us through the Holy Spirit, through life that when sin does pop into our lives and that root takes place, that he, we would be quickly deal with it. So I have another question for you this morning. What if you're Bathsheba in this story? How do you respond? Well, I think the answer to that is the same exact way. If we are on the other end of someone else's sin, that's gross, and horrific, and harmful, we approach Psalm 51 the same exact way. Be gracious, loving, compassionate, and kind to me, God. Forgive me, wash me, and blot out my transgressions. Allow the awareness of sin to be known Ask again for purification, washing, forgiveness. And here's the nugget. When, when David's saying, cause me to come alive again with joy and worship, that's a big one when you're on the other end of someone else's sin, right? Don't let me waste this pain, this hurt, this suffering. Bless me with a broken spirit that I may remain humble and avoid pride that only leads to sin that got me here. I think it has to be the same exact thing. Sin is so harmful. We know that. When we're on the other end of it. And we have to be hyper aware of it as the church when we start to walk in it. Again, sin is dynamic. It's not static. We have to make decisions as individuals and as the body of Christ to continue to move towards what God is inviting us to. I think we don't model this very well in church. And um, I've been very aware of that in this past journey of my life. Again, I've been in pastoral ministries for 20 years or so. And I'm here to say that um, I have not done a good job in creating a space for, especially for young people to talk about their sin in a way that they wouldn't feel judged and invite them into a Psalm 51 path to repentance. And that frustrates me. And it's something that I want to see changed in our community, in my family, and in in my life as an individual. And I've been so encouraged by working with the recovery community. I love the honesty of people who are going through recovery. I love um, the transparency of their hurt and their sin. I would encourage each and every one of you, if, if you have never done this, to take in a meeting, an AA meeting, an outpatient meeting. There's, uh, my friend Larry has an incredible meeting here on Thursday nights. Go and meet. Just take place in in those conversations that uh, that are happening. They're they're so supportive. People in addiction recovery are so supportive of one another. They get it. They get the hurt. They get the pain. Um, When they get past the shame and the guilt, they're so quick to enter in such a deep and meaningful relationship with God. It's absolutely beautiful. And so, listen, um, my prescription... For us, the church this week is is twofold, okay? You ready for this? Number one is that you and I would find time by ourselves, adequate time. Let's call it an hour. You're being prescribed an hour of your time, okay? To read through Psalm 51 and enjoy and personalize the repentance process. Deal? Is that something we can do as a church? Just one-on-one, you with God, as Psalm 51 being the roadmap. Take our sin before God and get right with him. And secondly, here's the deal, is that we begin to build a culture at this church and in our faith community of being okay and transparent in sharing our sin with others. That as we bring it to light and air it out, that's what that word confession means. It means to just get it off our chest, to get it out there. And once it's out there, then truth and God and grace and all these wonderful things can start dealing with it. But if we hold it in and keep it to ourselves, it's a poison and it rots us. And it's just like David was saying, it's ever before me, I can't shake it. All right, so you're being prescribed to go find a friend, okay? Go get a burrito and talk about your junk. That's it. I have a friend, uh, Dave Yearwood, is he here today? Dave's one of my best buddies, but Dave knows my junk. And I know his, and let me tell you, he's a horrible, rotten sinner. <laughs> like, like it's unbelievable. <laughs> and he can say the same about me. Say, like, man, that guy is disqualified. Get him off the stage. But listen, in that relationship, When I'm going through it, I know I can go to him as a friend and as a brother and just go, dude, I'm struggling. I've made some poor decisions. I've hurt some people. And it just is incredible to just get it off my chest and to get it out there and to cut that vine that's growing up around my leg, just wanting to choke me out. And every single time as we pray and as we just get transparent, freedom ensues every single time. So that's it. As the band comes out right now, and as we close the service out, I just want to take a moment for us to just sit in the presence of God that we might ask for forgiveness of sin. Can we do that as a congregation? Let's do that. Father, ultimately it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. In church, this morning, it's imperative that we're reminded that God loves us. Put your name in that. God loves Joel Parker. It's hard to believe, and especially when I'm choosing to walk in sin and to live in sin and to stay in sin, how could God ever choose to love me You see, that's the mystery of grace. Doesn't make sense in every other religious construct, it's the worshipers sacrificing for their God, but our God has flipped that and reversed that. He's a God who sacrificed for his worshipers. And so Father, this morning as we are just going, hey, We've got a great roadmap here in Psalm 51 towards repentance. We desire that forgiveness of sin. We desire that freedom. We desire that you would take our stories of pain and heartache and use them for your kingdom, for your good. God, we're sorry for the sin that has broken relationship with you this morning. We thank you that again, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. You're a kind God, a loving God, a merciful God. God that demonstrated his goodness towards an idiot 19-year-old who didn't kick him out of Bible college and allow him to marry his childhood sweetheart. That's what you're inviting us to, each and every one of us. There's no sin that he hasn't dealt with or conquered. There's no sin that has kept Jesus on the cross or in the grave. What a beautiful invitation this morning to take a step towards you in a way from the things that are choking us out and killing us. May our church be a place where honesty and transparency is welcomed. People feel free to talk about the things that are keeping them from you, God. Oh, we love you this morning. You're so good. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.